you're about to listen to our program Eng. We don't know why, however we are grateful you chose to. We do wish to inform you that the views, opinions and overall morality, do not necessarily reflect those of the station, interview guests, sponsors or musical entities. If you should choose to continue, and we sincerely hope that you do. Just know, we tried to advise you against these actions and we are not responsible for any damage done to your sanity, morals or ideals. Thank you. Here comes the terrible siren. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Cultivad, another episode in the books. And before we get too far into it, I want to give it a shout out to Sailor Rob. Thank you for that sub. You know, uh, the subs, uh, they help us pay the bills and they also keep you from having to see ads, which nobody likes the ads. So um, if you are watching and you want to and you have Amazon Prime, you can tie the two accounts together and you can sub for free technically um i still get a little bit of money for it though so uh it's kind of a neat deal that's one of the reasons why we moved over to twitch honestly is because it's it's a lot more user friendly uh it's a lot more intuitive you can set alerts and stuff so it'll let you know when i go live like there's there's so much stuff plus a lot more interaction and stuff that we can do so uh, if you're listening to this after the fact, you can find me on twitch.tv forward slash cultivod. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, you can uh, still find us on YouTube and Tap Detroit uh, plays us still Friday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. So now that that's all out of the way, um, you know what? I'm going to take one more minute. I'm going to do one more thing because I've got a rant that I want to get into and then I want to hit tonight's topic. So... We got new merch. We got new merch designs. If uh, I don't have to do that. That's right. This one, this one, and this one are our three new designs here. We have the Cultivad radio with a uh, skull and some horns. We have uh, Cultivad. It's real ya good. For those of you that are HP Lovecraft and Cthulhu fans, that's uh, a punny little joke. And then we have this uh, creepy looking radio that says the Let the Tentacles Take You. Hello, dear. 
So these are our, our three newest designs, but we, we have so much more here for you. Please, by all means, go check it out. If you would like a uh, link for the, the shop, boom, there it is, or it's uh, on our profile. We have a different one on our profile for, uh, for the stuff we do with Rooster. Anyways, there is this one. Uh, one of my favorites here. Uh, hold on, let me let me make it so I'm not in the way. There's this one, um, and this one. Like I said, if you're a fan of H.P. Lovecraft and Cthulhu, the "It's Realia Good" is is a pun. Oh shit. This is the uh, Cthulhu one that I was talking about. I forgot to transition. This is the uh, the radio one. It's on t-shirts, coffee mugs. You know, you can go check it out. Um, and then one more. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Our uh, Let the Tentacles Take You. Yeah, I uh, I got to admit, I'm still getting used to having to use OBS and having to transition between scenes and whatnot when I change something. So, but uh, anyways, you can find it at our, our little shop of oddities uh, dot myspreadshop dot com, um, or there's a link in the chat if you're in the chat right now. And otherwise, uh, there are links posted. You can get to our merch. But uh, like I said, we have a bunch of different stuff. All of it has been designed by yours truly. Um, it's uh, just a little thing, little extra thing that I do to kind of add another level. So, all right, let's uh, bloop and bloop and bloop. All right, so rant. I'm sure, like the rest of us, you've been following the news about the little submarine that couldn't. And... You know, at first when I heard about it, I, I thought, oh, man, that's terrible. That's got to be terrifying because I don't like to swim. Like, I'm, water and me do not get along. You would think, being a fat guy, that I would float, but I'm not buoyant. I identify as a rock, and I swim straight down and in, into the bottom. So, um, but the more that I've heard about this, I'm feeling less and less bad and more and more of the mind of play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Right? Like, this man was told by numerous people that this submersible is not rated for the depth that he wants to go to. Uh, the, the front window on it is uh, only rated for 1,300 meters. The Titanic sits at 3,700 meters. All right? There's no way that that window would have held up. And he was told that. And when every time that he, he was talked to about safety, he, all he really would say is, well, you know, it's not safe getting out of bed in the morning. Okay, valid point. You know, you could trip over your slipper and conk your head on a fucking, you know, 
windowsill and be out be a wrap that's it but motherfucker you're going into what is essentially space on earth all right because that, that's the thing that i've been sitting here thinking about is like people like to think that water is is somehow safe you know somewhat somehow safer because it's on the planet but it is essentially space it is cold it is dark there ain't no oxygen you know uh you need a special vessel to go down into it you also have to deal with uh crushing pressure after a certain point um you can't come up too fast otherwise you 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 pop all right now let's look at space it's cold it's dark there's crushing pressure you can't come out of it too fast otherwise you pop or burn up you know so like when when you're testing experimental craft i understand that there are some risks but you don't put humans in the way of the you know with those risks you just don't do it what this man did is tantamount to going to space in a refrigerator box covered in tinfoil and and don't even get me started on the fucking controls okay motherfucker had a touch screen like it was a goddamn mcdonald's and and a video game controller that looked like it was designed by mad cats which for those of you that are gamers will understand mad cats is trash nine times out of ten they work for like five minutes and that's it they done they make crap electronics now this motherfucker had some ps5 xbox hybrid thing to control uh, no 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 so yeah uh rob said the only uh sailor rob said the only one i feel bad for is a 19 year old kid true but again he had reached the age of accountability in legal standpoint eyes he could have said no like i get it going down and checking out the titanic sounds good on paper until you remember that you know it's dangerous down there you you can't breathe you're in an experimental craft that has not been approved not been rated for what you're trying to do like i don't know man this whole scenario sounds like a big case of fuck around and sadly they found out i don't feel bad because all parties involved were old enough to fucking know better and of course i'm gonna clown on it because it's just it's a ridiculous thing and uh so yeah that's this has been screaming at me through my news feeds lately about this sub um, they went down on uh sunday right they 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 went into the water on sunday and supposedly they only had 96 hours of oxygen under optimal conditions Tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., they run out of oxygen, if they haven't already. Because as soon as you realize that you're stuck down there and everything's broken, you're going to panic. And, hey, Bonesy, how's it going, buddy? Yeah, you're going to start to panic, which means you're going to start breathing faster, which means you're sucking up the oxygen real fast. So unless they were able to calm the fuck down, 
It probably didn't have 96 hours of oxygen. In fact, it, the company stated under optimal conditions, it's more likely that they had 40 to 70 hours of oxygen. And uh, I, I, whether you believe in ghosts or not, uh, I'm thinking the, the folks in the Titanic was like, yeah, come on down. <laughs> We've been lonely for far too long. I've had a couple of meme ideas in my head is like, you know, an iceberg saying I, I caused the, the most or the biggest disaster in history. And then a PS5 controller just saying, hold my beer. You know, it's 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 funny. Uh, it's sad. It is sad that that five people are going to lose their lives due to stupidity. And I don't know if any of you saw the inside of this thing. They're in a fucking minivan for for the the best at it. For for the best description, they're in a minivan. Oh, and let me not forget, they're trapped on the inside from the outside. All of the bolts, everything that they, you know, could even remotely think about trying to loosen to try to get themselves out is on the outside. So even if they aren't down that far, which they are, they got no way out. And the other thing that I, I don't know if they're taking into account for, if this thing is just dead in the water, there are currents at lower depths. There is nothing saying that they are anywhere near where they were supposed to be. They could have been pushed further out. Mark my words, in six months or so, on the other side of the world, parts of this thing are probably going to pop up. They're going to wash up on shore. Or God forbid, a body. But yeah, I just... Tragic that lives are being lost due to stupidity. I got a feeling, I got a feeling it wasn't that quick. I, uh, something, something in my gut is telling me that uh, this dude was probably kind of a, a prick. And unfortunately, four other people went down with him and fate decided to teach him a lesson. And let that be a lesson to everybody else. Innovation is great. And there are those that argue that safety measures will uh, keep innovation from being able to move forward. But safety measures are in place because of this, things like this. Innovation needs to, to have some modicum of reality. Yeah, uh, saying in the chat, uh, at least if it implodes, they won't even see it coming. It'll turn their bodies into liquid. Uh, some of the dead set at the pressure. If it was damaged, they would have been insta-squished. That's right. They, they would have crumpled like a tin can. What up, Vanta? Oh, all my RP friends. Oh, you guys are so sweet. All right. So that's my rant. 
I only feel bad for the fact that people had to be this stupid. And you can call me heartless, you can call me a bastard, you can call me a son of a bitch, but I'm here to tell you I've been called worse by better. There's nothing you can't say you can say that's going to hurt my feelings. So, let's jump into tonight's topic. Okay? So, um I've been doing some reading and I've been doing some researching and different stuff that I wanted to talk about. And UFOs have been huge lately. Like UFOs, there, there's there's talk about aliens and, and multiple sightings and everything else. And so as I was digging through uh, different stuff, I, I ran upon the story of the 1966 UFO craze here in Michigan. Now, you wouldn't think that it's that big of a story, but it kind of is. Because this is one of the first stories. This is one of the first big blips, other than Area 51, on the radar for uh, uh, ufologists. And it's it, ufologists. It's not ufologists. Right? It's ufologists. Um, because there were so many key players involved with this story and i felt that it was important to start talking to you about it but the problem is as with any story there are certain things that you have to talk about before you talk about the thing that you want to talk about so welcome to what what will be the first part in a multi-part series about ufos and specifically the 1966 ufo craze uh, that happened here in Michigan that caused the nation to stand up and pay attention, complete with Congressman Gerald Ford turning aliens and UFOs into a political matter. But before we can really dive into that main topic, I have to introduce you to one of the key players that you're going to hear his name brought up quite a bit as we move forward through this. It's a man named J. Allen Hynek. And Hynek's name will crop up a lot during our series here. We'll even be touching back on the previous episode of ours. So, grab your drinks, grab your snacks, turn the lights down low, and sit back and get ready for a dive into UFOs, aliens, and Americans' history with the two. Now, before I get too much further, the episode that I'm talking about us touching back on is our episode that we did on Project Blue Book. Um, oh, no, we did on Project Blue Beam. Sorry. But because of Blue Beam, there, there was stuff that we talked about from Blue Book. Some of you might remember the series that was on, um, I want to say it's History Channel. Uh, it was a miniseries that they did on Project Blue Book. It was fantastically done. Um, of course, they, they did have to, you know, do a few things to keep it interesting for people to want to watch, you know. But for the most part, it was a pretty straightforward telling of the events that happened. So we're all familiar with the, 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 the UFO crash that happened in Roswell. Well, after that, um, there were scientists and others that, even though that the U.S. military was, was saying, oh, it was a weather balloon, uh, there were scientists that didn't quite believe that and began diving deeper. Joseph Allen Hynek was an American professor, an astronomer, and an ufologist. 
He was born May 1st, 1910 in Chicago, Illinois. He was the scientific advisor to UFO studies conducted by the U.S. Air Force, and he participated in three projects in this capacity. Project Sign, from 1947 to 1949, Project Grudge, from 1949 to 1951, and most famously, Project Blue Book, from 52 to 69. <laughs> nice. Now, as we get talking more and more about what happened, um, I'm going to sound crazy at times. I, I'm just preparing you for that now because I fully believe that aliens exist. Um, I have my entire life. Oh, man. Uh, I hate when I do things and then I can't undo them. Please bear with me a minute. I did something earlier. And I should have figured out how to undo it quickly. Uh, there it is. All right. There we go. So, Project Sign. Project Sign was established in 1948. And you'll have to forgive me. I'm going to be going back and forth, so I won't always be looking at you. If I'm looking off to the side, it's because I'm, I'm reading some of what I prepared. So, bear with me. Um, uh, Project Sign was an official UF, uh, U.S. government study of unidentified flying objects, UFOs, uh, undertaken by the United States Air Force and active for most of 1948. It was a precursor to Project Grudge, which we'll talk about. The project was established in 48 by the Air, by Air Force General Nath Nathan Farragut Twinning, uh, head of the Air Technical Service Command, and was initially named Project Saucer. The goal of the project was to collect, evaluate, and distribute within the government all information relating to UFO sightings on the premises they might Repre uh, represent a national security concern. On April 27, 1949, the U.S. Air Force publicly released a paper prepared by the Intelligence Division of the Aerial Material Command at Wright-Patterson Field, Ohio. The paper stated that while some UFOs appeared to represent actual aircraft, there was not enough data to determine their origin. Almost all cases were explained by ordinary causes, but the report recommended a continuation of the investigation of all sightings. Project Sign was first asserted in the 1956 book The Report of Identi Unidentified Flying Objects by retired Air Force Captain Edward J. Ruppel, who later directed Project Blue Book. In this, he also claimed that Sign had produced an estimate of the situation, which endorsed an interplanetary explanation for UFOs. But General Hoyt Vandenberg, chief of staff of the Air Force, shut down Project Sign for lack of proof. No copy of this document or any other cor uh, corroboration of uh, Ruppelt's claim has been produced. And Popular Mechanics called the report probably the most mytholo more mythological than real. Project Sign was followed by Project Grudge after a conclusion was reached that UFO reports could be exploited by foreign power to induce panic in the population and were therefore a military issue in the post-World War II Cold War climate. 
This led Project Grudge to publicly disparage all UFO reports as the result of misidentification of various conventional objects, mild form of mass hysteria and war nerves, and individuals who fabricated such reports to perpetuate a hoax or seek publicity. Uh, patho was psychopathological persons. So basically, they just were like, nah, nah, it's a bunch of kooks. It's a bunch of crazy people out there. They don't know what they're talking about. You see, what happened was uh, the moon was full, and a child's mylar balloon was floating past, and then uh, Venus was real bright that night, and then there was some swamp gas that uh, reflected the light of Venus onto the back of the balloon, which, you know, the moon and Venus, and, and uh, do you believe it? You, you believe? Uh, all right, hold on, hold on. I got something you'll believe. <laughs> Shut the fuck up about UFOs is pretty much the, the, the way they went with it. You know, because there are a lot of stories, and we'll get into those later on, hopefully. Uh, there are a lot of stories of people being pressured to stay quiet. Right? They, they, are, they either are outright threatened or there is the illusion, not illusion, but illusion of possible violence being done to them if if they don't quiet um, that's also where we get the the stories of the uh the men in black uh not the will smith men in black um but the the actual like creepy individuals in black suits and whatnot so uh in may of 49 officers of project sign received a letter from an aeronautical company shareholder who explained that the company had been building aircraft similar to the flying saucers which were then po a popular topic in the press. This was during the UFO craze following Kenneth Arnold's report of seeing UFOs over Mount Rainier and the Roswell incident that followed. The Air Force had canvassed for reports of flying saucers, and the shareholder apparently felt that inventor Jonathan Edward Caldwell's disc rotator might explain them. Tracking down leads, the team accompanied by the Maryland police visited an abandoned farm in Glenbury, Maryland, uh, just outside Baltimore, where the damaged remains of Caldwell's disc rotator aircraft were discovered. They also tracked down Driggers, who told them the story of the attempted flight in 1937-38-ish. The team reported that the prototype could not be responsible for the flying saucer reports, that were being received from all around the country. Photographs of the broken disc rotor machine continue to appear, appear in UFOs books to this day. They were often described as crashed flying saucers in earlier works, claiming it was one more example of the U.S. Air Force being in possession of such vehicles. More recently, they are normally connected with the claims that Nazis had built working flying saucers late in the war lumped together with other disc-shaped aircraft like the uh, Avricar, Arthur Sack uh, AS-6, and the Vought V-173. Uh, in an effort to demonstrate that such aircraft were both possible and well-researched. Now, when they mention the Nazis, um, there is a ton of info that, like, when you start talking about UFOs, you, you, there there is a ton of info that leads back to uh, Nazi Germany, and more specifically Hitler. Hitler was into the occult, and there is the rumor that uh, he had built a a, a bell-shaped object that could hover over the ground. Remember, 
when we beat the Nazis and we liberated Germany, a lot of those scientists came over with to the U.S. And they were immediately pulled in by the U.S. government. And the German scientists were light years ahead of the American scientists. They had a better understanding of the math and uh, celestial events and knowledge of, of different sciences that we were cra just then cracking. Mark my words, if we had not liberated Germany during uh, uh, the, the, the war with the Nazis, we wouldn't have cell phones, I don't think. We wouldn't have half of the technological advances that we have. Because if you look at the timeline, once that happened, and we took in all those scientists, our technological advances just started going up and up and up and up and up. And there's always been rumors that Hitler was in contact with the aliens. Now, whether I believe that or not, I don't know. But the rumors persist, and this is how conspiracy theories and everything goes. Everything is a conspiracy theory or a rumor until it's proven true or false, whichever, however you want to look at it. Um, but there's always a shred of truth, and we, and, and, and we mentioned this uh, uh, we mentioned this in our episode about Project Bluebeam that there's what ends up happening with a lot of these conspiracy theories is there is a grain of truth. There is just enough truth wrapped in bullshit for it to be believable. Like Alex Jones or Joe Rogan. There's just enough truth wrapped in bullshit for people to be like, huh, you know, he might be onto something there. So who's to say? Uh, Vanta in the chat just said, as a owner of a German car, that shit's pretty cracked for a 20-year-old car, which means there's a lot of fucking technology in it. It is, he just got it, and he was even going through like, wow, there, there's, there's a lot of electronics in here. Like, it's entirely possible, not probable, but it's entirely possible that, you know, Hitler might have known a thing or two when it came to aliens. Who knows? Yeah, uh, he said, like, tech is, is the shit that he would expect to see in a modern car, but it's it, it was there 20 years ago. He got a Volkswagen. Um, so, anyways, so the Caldwell investigation, uh, you know, they, they, they looked at the rotator disc, and they were like, you know what? Nah, this ain't a thing. Uh, because we're keeping with how we normally do things, give me a minute.
shit. Project Grudge was a short-lived project in the U.S. Air Force to investigate unidentified flying objects. Grudge succeeded Project Sign in February of 1949 and then was followed by Project Blue Book. The project formally ended in December of 49, uh, but continued in a minimal capacity until late 1951. Project Grudge was intended to alleviate public anxiety over UFOs and persuade the public that UFOs constituted nothing unusual or extraordinary. UFO sightings were explained as balloons, conventional aircraft, planets, meteors, optical illusions, solar reflections, or even large hailstones. Uh, Project officials recommended that the project be reduced in scope because the very existence of Air Force official interest encouraged people to believe in UFOs and contributed to a war hysteria atmosphere. On December 27th of 1949, the Air Force announced the project's termination. Their conclusions. In a uh, report, a formal report that was issued in August of 49, these were the conclusions that they came up with. There is no evidence that objects reported upon are the result of an advanced scientific foreign development, and therefore they constitute no direct threat to national security. In view of this, it is recommended that the investigation and study of reports of identified flying objects be reduced in scope. By all evidence and analysis indicate indicating the reports of unidentified flying objects are the results of, again, misinterpretation of various conventional objects, a mild form of mass hysteria and war nerves, uh, individuals who fabricate such reports to perpetuate a hoax to seek publicity, and again, psychopathological persons. The recommendation section suggested the Air Force personnel receive basic instruction in astronomical phenomena. An article by Sidney Shallot appeared in two consecutive issues of the Saturday Evening Post on April 30th and May 7th of 1949 and supported Project Grudge's assessment that UFO reports could be explained by mundane phenomenon and that hoaxes and crackpots played a prominent role in popularizing UFOs. Well, you just call me a crackpot. Ding! Astronomer and ufologist J. Allen Hynek, see, here he comes, criticized Project Grudge, claiming that the project was less science and more of a public relations campaign, which, based on what we've just read, is true. That, that's what they were doing. It was a, a PR nightmare that UFOs existed for the government, and they, they wanted to shut it down. They, they wanted to clean up the image. Nah, you crazy kids. You get out there and, and go destroy the economy for the future. Let us take care of the aliens. Uh, so uh, it was convinced that alien... Uh, what was it? Uh, where was I? Project Grudge also received criticism, criticism from former intelligence officer uh, Edward J. Ruppelt, who was convinced of the alien nature of UFOs and how he has seen the military and the U.S. government trying to discredit the extraterrestrial hy hypothesis. Heineck and Ruppelt claimed that the project was as far from an objective scientific examination of the phenomenon as one could get. Uh, so basically, you guys' heads are up your asses. Um, you, uh, one of the, the, the tenets of scientific exploration is to keep an open mind. 
if you go into a scientific research project with the mindset of this is the outcome, then that's all you're ever going to be able to conclude to. All of your math, all of your calculations, all of your studying, all of your findings will always point you in the direction of what is your established truth or established ideology. That's why you can't have a Christian go try to figure out that God doesn't exist. They're biased. So if your opinion is that, uh, you know, people are crazy and UFOs don't exist, that's all you're ever going to find is crazy people and non-existent UFOs. That is what it seems like uh, Project Sign and Project Grudge ended up doing. Now, I'm sure you're wondering how this all ties into the craze of 1966, and we'll get there, I promise. I, I wouldn't lie to you. That's not my thing. So, in his later life, Heineck conducted his own independent studies into ufology. During these studies, he developed a classification system for UFO encounters known as the Close Encounter System. Some of you who are old enough or pay attention to older cinema may remember the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That movie was based off of Hynek's classifications. Um, the system initially consisted of three escalating steps uh, one might experience in a UFO sighting. A close encounter of the first kind. You witness something in the sky and it leaves no evidence behind. A close encounter of the second kind. An unidentified flying object leaves some kind of physical trace. This could be anything from burns on the ground, impressions on the ground, or broken branches. So things like crop circles and stuff like that uh, could be considered a close encounter of the second kind. A close encounter of the third kind is personal contact with a craft. You witness an alien pilot or some type of life form. Now, again, in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, you know, the, the main protagonist ends up, you know, kind of having an experience that is is kind of like uh is it uh the f close encounter of the first kind there's there's no evidence left behind but like his brain like he's 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 keyed in on devil's mountain you know that big mountain that has the flat top and whatnot i believe it's in utah if i'm not mistaken but i could be wrong uh anyways um so he keeps seeing that over and over and over again in his mind and he's he's compelled and and he's He's drawn to it. He's he's making sculptures of it out of his fucking mashed potatoes at dinner and mud and clay and shit like that. And he is he is drawn to it. So as he leaves his home while his wife thinks he's batshit crazy, um, he begins a cross-country journey and ends up running into one or two other people who are having the same vision. And they are all heading towards the same place. And uh, aliens do show up. Um it was a good movie, so if you're into aliens and you like watching movies, by all means, go back and check it out. Uh, sometime later, uh, the fourth and fifth Close Encounter levels were added to the system. Those additions would include Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, which entails the common abduction scenario. This was made famous by Betty and Barney Hill's encounter in New Hampshire in September of 1961. And then their later recollection of this event under hypnosis. 
following that there's the close encounters of the fifth kind. The edition was created by Dr. Stephen Greer and is described as a situation where regular communication is established with the alien entities, whether it be through personal encounters or through psychic means. So, those other two were added by someone who picked up Hynek's uh, research. Now, before Hynek had created the beginnings of his Close Encounter system, he received his Bachelor of Science degree at the University of Chicago in 1931. 1935 saw him receive his Ph.D. in astrophysics, and one year later, in 36, he would become a member of the Department of Physics and Astronomy at, U uh, at Ohio State University. As World War II broke out, he became a civilian scientist at John Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory, where he assisted in the development of the U.S. Navy's radio proximity fuse. Uh, proximity fuse is used to detonate an explosive device automatically when the distance to its uh, implied target becomes smaller than the predetermined value. It increased explosive let lethality by 5 to 10 times compared to timed or contact fuses. So basically, this had a radio frequency thing in it, and if you got outside that radio frequency, kaboom! Um, needless to say, the man's education and connections and accomplishments speak for themselves. And after the war, Heinrich returned to Ohio State in the Department of Physics and Astronomy, where he rose to prominence as a full professor. In 56, he would leave the position to work for the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory, and shortly after, in 1960, he would return to teaching as a professor of the chairman of the Astronomy Department of Northwest University in Evanston, Illinois. Now, this is all to tell you that the man has the proper pedigree. Heineck was learned. He was uh, objective. And he had a true love for the science that he studied. Starting his work with the United States Air Force with Project Sign in 1984, Hynek was quite skeptical of the validity of the UFO reports and sightings. He felt a majority of reports were being made by unreliable witnesses or were simply being misidentified and confused with man-made objects. He was proud of his status as an avid debunker. In 1953, Heineck wrote a report for the Journal of the Optical Society of America titled Unusual Aerial Phenomenon, which contained one of his best-known statements. Ridicule is part of the scientific method, and people should not be taught that... Uh, and, uh, uh, ridicule is not part of the scientific method, and people should not be taught that it is. The steady flow of reports, often made in concert by reliable observers, raises questions of scientific obligation and responsibility. Is there any residue that is worth, worthy of scientific attention? Or, if there isn't, does not an obligation exist to say so to the public? Not in words of open ridicule, but seriously, to keep faith with the trust the public places in scientists and science. Also in 1953, he was appointed to the Robertson panel, where he would claim there was nothing anomalous about UFOs, 
regarding military and police reports of sightings, he was quoted as saying, As a scientist, I must be mindful of the lessons of the past. All too often, it has happened that matters of great value to science were overlooked because the new phenomenon did not fit the accepted scientific outlook of the time. This seemed to be a turning point for Hynek. His skeptical outlook uh, seemed to pull a 180, and it feels he couldn't discredit all of the findings that he had over the years of investigation any longer. And this is true. This is something that they they dive into in that, that history series, uh, is that there was mounting evidence that something... <laughs> there was mounting evidence that he couldn't argue with coupled with the pressure from the U.S. government, these two things collided and Hynek started to change his mind. Why are you so intent on making people believe that aliens don't exist? Why are we, we finding these, these aircraft, these experimental aircraft? How did you get that technology? Where did you come up with that? Like, the, there were questions that started to form because of the things that he had seen. And at that point, when everything else has been discredited, what you're left with has to be true. Right? Like, when all plausible explanations have been exhausted the only thing that you're left with tends to be the truth and that's that's a fact of life not just science but the life in general i want to read uh to you the the project blue book information before we get too further because this is the good one Project Blue Book was the code name for the systematic study of unidentified flying objects by the United States Air Force from March of 1952 to its termination in December uh, of 69. So they had over 10 years. They were bordering 20 years of research. You mean to tell me that the U.S. government spent 20 years researching something that doesn't exist nah 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 i don't buy it you're never make me believe it Mm -mm, not gonna happen sorry just can't anyways um the project headquartered at wright patterson air force base in ohio was initially directed by captain edward j ruppel as we've covered uh and followed the uh, projects of similar nature i.e project sign and project grudge blue book had two goals namely to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security and to scientifically analyze UFO-related data. Thousands of UFO reports were collected, analyzed, and filed. Uh, as a result of the uh, Condone report, uh, which concluded that the study of UFOs was unlikely to yield major scientific discoveries, and a review of the report by the National Academy of Science, uh, Sciences Project Blue Book was terminated, like I said, in December of 69. 
the Air Force supplies the following summary of its investigations. No UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force was ever an indication of a threat to our national security. Pay attention there. There was no evidence submitted to or discovered by the Air Force that sightings categorized as unidentified represented technological developments or principles beyond the range of modern scientific knowledge. There was no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as unidentified uh, were extraterrestrial vehicles. Now, during the, the episode, um, uh, during the, the series, as they're walking through one of the, the Air Force bases that is super classified, um, they walk into a hangar, and there are several airplanes that are covered up. One of them, if I'm not mistaken, was the SR-71 Blackbird. It was one of the first experimental aircrafts uh, that they were trying to figure out how to cloak it from radar. I want to point, the reason I pointed out to pay attention to the verbiage. Because what they said, they didn't pose a threat to our national security. It wasn't science that was beyond the range of modern scientific knowledge. And the only one, and based on the verbiage that's there, I feel it was just thrown in at the end. Like, we got to have three points. Were, there's no evidence saying that they were extraterrestrial vehicles. Who's to say that this isn't technology that at that point wouldn't have been considered extraterrestrial because maybe they've been uh, working backwards on stuff that they had found. Those first two to me are very damning, though, just on the verbiage because that means, all right, so it's not a threat to national security. Maybe they've spoke with the aliens. And uh, the fact that it's not beyond the, the range of modern scientific knowledge. Prior to the war ending, the idea of a microwave or, you know, radio transmission stuff is all that. Um, that that didn't exist. Like, the military had some stuff, but the, the mass public didn't. So, again, I mentioned, we make this huge technological jump. We, we essentially go from cavemen hitting things with rocks to microwaves overnight almost. And, and I know it wasn't overnight. I know it took a, several years. But you have to think of things in a much larger scale, right? Humanity has been here for but a blink of an eye. Like, literally... Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson brought back the, uh, the old show, um, ah, that was hosted by Carl Sagan. And he put things up in a, a perspective to, to let everybody know. He, he basically put everything up in a, a, in a calendar format. The beginning of the universe to today, right? If it, if it were in a 
a 12-month calendar. We are in but the first hour of the first day of the first month. All of humanity is just condensed into that. From our primordial beginning to us fucking changing the channel right now. All of it is condensed down into just a fraction of that calendar. So we make these huge technological leaps out of nowhere? I don't buy it. I don't buy that we didn't have help. It, it's just, I can't possibly fathom it. I, I, can't, I can't honestly believe that some American scientist was sitting there one day and like, you know what? I'd like to cook this baked potato, but I don't want to do it on a fire or in a stove. Maybe, maybe if I take this radio and I take a few more and surround it, maybe they'll cook. Nah, that shit didn't happen. <laughs> like, no. Anyways, uh, by the time Project Blue Book had ended, it had collected uh, 12,618 UFO reports and concluded that most of them were misidentifications of natural phenomenon, clouds, stars, or conventional aircraft. According to the National Renaissance Office, a number of the reports could be explained by flights of the formerly secret reconnaissance planes, the U-2 and the A-12. Reports were classified as unexplained uh, even after stringent analysis. The UFO reports were archived and are available under the Freedom of Information Act, but the names and other personal information of all the witnesses has been redacted. Under, according to Captain Edward J. Ruppel, by the end of 1951, several high-ranking, very influential United States Air Force generals were so dissatisfied with the state of, state of Air Force UFO investigations that they dismantled Project Grudge and replaced it with Blue Book uh, in 52. One of these men was General Charles P. Cabell. Another important change came when General William Garland joined Cabell's staff. Garland thought the UFO question deserved serious scrutiny because he himself had witnessed a UFO. The new name, Project Blue Book, was selected to refer to the blue booklets used for testing at some colleges and universities. The name was inspired, said Ruppel, by those close attention uh, that by the close attention that high-ranking officers were giving the new project. Uh, it felt as if the study of UFOs was as important as a college final exam. Blue Book was also upgraded in status from Project Grudge with the creation of the Aerial Phenomena branch. Ruppelt was the first head of the project. Uh, he was an experienced airman, having been decorated for his efforts by the Army and Air Corps during World War II and having afterward earned an aeronautics degree, he officially coined the term unidentified flying object to replace the many terms flying saucer, flying discs, and so on the military had previously used. Ruppelt thought that unidentified flying object was, more neutral, uh, was a more neutral and accurate term. I can't say that he's wrong. Although, uh, 
I have often argued that anything that you see flying in the sky that you don't know 100% what it is is technically a U uh, unidentified flying object. If you see a bird high enough up and you're like, I don't know what the hell that is. That doesn't make it not a bird. It just means you don't know what the hell it is. Uh, Ruppelt resigned from the Air Force some years later and wrote a book, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects, which described the study of UFOs by the United States Air Force from 47 to 55. American scientist Michael D. Swords wrote that Ruppelt would lead the last genuine effort to analyze UFOs. Uh, Ruppelt um, implemented a number of changes. He streamlined the manner in which UFOs were reported uh, by military officials, partly in hopes of alleviating the stigma and ridicule associated with UFO witnesses. Uh, Ruppelt also ordered the development of a standard questionnaire uh, for UFO witnesses hoping to uncover data that could be subject to statistical analysis. He commissioned the Battelle Memorial Institute to create the questionnaire and computerize the data. Using case reports and the computerized data, uh, Battelle then conducted a massive scientific and statistical study of all Air Force UFO cases, completed in 1954 and known as Project Blue Book Special Report Number 14. Knowing that uh, facsim uh, factionalization or factionalism had harmed the proj progress of uh, Project Sign, Ruppelt did his best to avoid the kinds of open-ended speculation that had led to Sign's personnel being split among advocates and critics of the extraterrestrial hypothesis. As Michael Hall writes, Ruppelt not only took the job seriously, but expected his staff to do so as well. If anyone under him either became too skeptical or too convinced of one particular theory, they soon found themselves off the project. In his book, Ruppelt reported that he fired three personnel very early in the project because they were either too pro or too con, one hypothesis or another. Ruppelt sought the advice of many scientists and experts and issued regular press releases along with classified monthly reports for military intelligence. Each U.S. Air Force base had a Blue Book officer to collect uh, UFO reports and forward them to Ruppelt. During most of Ruppelt's tenure, he and his team were authorized to interview any and all military personnel who witnessed UFOs and were not required to follow the chain of command. This unprecedented authority underlined the seriousness of Blue Book's investigation. Under Ruppelt's direction, Blue Book investigated a number of well-known UFO cases, including the so-called Lubbock Lights uh, and the widely publicized 1952 radar visual case over Washington, D.C. According to Jacques Vallée, Ruppelt started the trend largely followed by later Blue Book investigations of not giving serious consideration to numerous reports of UFO landings and or interaction with purported UFO occupants. Astronomer J. Allen Hynek was a scientific consultant, which we had already said, uh, and he worked on both the previous projects. He worked for the project up to its termination and initially created the categorization that we mentioned. Um, Ruppelt felt Blue Book in, uh, left Blue Book in February of 53 for a temporary reassignment. He returned a few months later to find his staff reduced from more than 10 to two subordinates. Frustrated, 
Ruppelt suggested that an Air Defense Command unit, the 4,602nd Air Intelligence Service Squadron, be charged with UFO investigations. And we're going to pause right there because we've reached the end of what is the fun size version for those of you listening on Tap Detroit or listening via your, your favorite podcast service. If you want to see the whole show or you want to hear the whole show, I highly recommend you tune in uh, live via Twitch, or you can sign up for our Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash cultivod. We've got a few patrons that we absolutely love, uh, and uh, I have I need to make the list of their names because we're doing things differently now. At any rate, your subscription to us on Twitch, your uh, subbing to our Patreon, those all help us keep doing what we do, what you enjoy, um, and it, it, it just helps. It, it shows the appreciation. Big thank you goes out to not only Matt Roberts for his work that he did, and I know we just thanked him, but this is recorded after the fact. I also want to give a shout-out to Justin Burnside, Les Zaldor, Bryce J. Rogers, and our Holy Mother, who are our patrons, who have been with us for a while. Thank you so much for sticking with me. And if you would like to become a patron, by all means, go to patreon.com forward slash cult of odd. Otherwise, we'll see you next time.